Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. The official start of summer and the longest day of the year is almost here, which means on the 22nd of June, the days start getting shorter. So consider this a call to arms, ladies, to make the most of our very short but very sweet Canadian summer. And be sure to start by heading outside with a cold beverage to enjoy today's show. It's Father's Day weekend, and it's a good time to not only let your dad know how much you love him, but to check in on his mental health. According to the Mental Health Commission of Canada, 75% of all suicides are men, and 66% of men believe that mental health is worse than it has ever been. Brian Baumler, HGTV celebrity and dad, was a guest speaker this week at the fifth Father's Day on the Hill, which aims to raise awareness about men's mental health. Brian joins me to discuss his own struggles with mental health and why it's so important that we bring this conversation into the light. Anne Brody has a slew of new releases for entertainment this week, which includes Disney and Pixar's Lightyear, the story of Buzz Lightyear and his adventures to infinity and beyond, the Phantom of the Open about the true story of Maurice Flitcroft, the worst professional golf player ever with the biggest heart. Season 3 of The Umbrella Academy returns on Netflix, and Jeff Bridges turns in a stellar performance in The Old Man on FX. I struggle with eco-guilt almost daily as I do my best to make smarter purchasing decisions. That's why I'm so thrilled to share Catherine Moret's business case with you. Catherine saw an opportunity for us to all do better with black plastic takeout containers, which most municipalities don't recycle. Catherine joins me to share how her business works and how you can get involved through your business. Radio is having a bit of a Me Too moment after Jennifer Valentine's recent revelations about her experience. That moment of bravery opened the door for others to share their stories, including my guest Laura Maynella, a dynamic, controversial, and opinionated voice in daytime radio. Laura joins me to discuss how now is the time for a radio reboot. Finally, family travel can have its challenges, but it's worth the memories you create no matter how near or far your travels take you. Claudia Leroy writes about adventure, family, wellness, and sustainable travel, and is set to release her travel anthology, A Gelato a Day, which highlights family travel stories from traveling with toddlers to elderly parents and the incredible moments that only could have come about through travel. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. According to the Mental Health Commission of Canada, 75% of all suicides are men and 66% of men believe that mental health is worse than it has ever been. 
Now, I know we talk a lot about women's health at what she said, but that statistic stopped me cold this week. So it's appropriate that as we celebrate the amazing fathers in our lives this weekend, that we pause to recognize that they may also be struggling with their mental health and help break down the stigma. Popular Canadian television personality Brian Baumler joins me now to discuss why he has stepped into the role of mental health advocate, starting with the fifth annual Father's Day on the Hill event that happened in Ottawa this week. Welcome to What She Said, Brian. Thanks for having me. So we're doing a little bit of what he said today. I think you may be the first man I've had on the show this year. Well, so I'm this is honored. Fantastic. I am honored. <laughs> it's, it's great to have you here. What prompted you um, to step into this role? Was there a moment that you said, you know, I really need to start speaking very openly about this? It's interesting. You know, a friend reached out to me and, and this initiative was started by Matt Jonru, uh, and it's a nonpartisan, you know, event. Uh, Father's Day on the Hill. It's uh, like you said, the fifth anniversary. Um, and, you know, I've had some conversations with with friends over the years and, and I had my own struggles with anxiety through my 20s and 30s. And believe it or not, you know, the first three years of filming uh, were 24 hour a day, seven day a week, you know, anxiety, massive panic attacks for me and, you know, suffered from agoraphobia. Uh, so I, I had a lot of experience with with that side of it. And I noticed uh, about a year ago, a friend of mine had sent me a, a, just an interesting, um, I don't know if it's a meme or a quote or, or what, uh, and I reposted it because it, it kind of hit home with me. I, I forget the exact context, but I was amazed at the number of people that reached out uh, in the trades. You know, these guys that, you know, publicly and, and from a distance are these big, tough, burly, you know, men don't cry, boys don't cry type guys uh, who said, you know what, man, I've had a really rough year. Um, and this is exactly what I needed to read, you know, thank you. So that was interesting. I started to, to repost and put out a little bit more content like that. Um, and just really notice the feedback. And, and again, mostly from these big, tough, burly guys that, you know, aren't supposed to cry, aren't supposed to show any emotion, um, saying that they were really connecting with that kind of content and that, you know, they needed to hear these things and they needed to hear that, you know, there's, there's people that are, are willing to listen and, and they needed to know that uh, it, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And do you think that we are, you know, that I'm, I'm so happy to hear that men were reaching out to you about this, but do you think that this is that we're able to shift accordingly for men in today's society to let them share those emotions? Or do you think they're still sort of hiding behind that wall that, you know, they've been conditioned to sit behind? I think there's definitely, you know, the, there's, there's pressures, there's different pressures on all of us, men, women, um, you know, kids, adults, older people. And, and I think it's a generational thing. I, I think it, it's, a, um, you know, it's, it's a societal thing, depending on what society you grow up in and how you're surrounded. And, and to be honest, you know, whether you have a, a strong, supportive father figure in your life or, or not. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, the more I've, I've thought about it, you know, men's mental health doesn't only affect men, you know, it affects the, 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 the partners in their lives, the children, um, you know, the women around them, uh, you know, men's mental health issues can can lead to uh, to crime, to substance abuse, to domestic violence and issues. And, and so it's such an important topic, not just for men, but for, you know, for everybody uh, to talk about. Definitely, we should open the door and, and allow these conversations to happen. And I think most people it, it takes. I mean, I'm, I'm 48 now. I've got four children, you know, I've been uh, busy with a career for a number of years. And I, I think it's an age related thing when you um, 
you know, they, they say you have two lives and, and the second one starts when you realize that you only have one. Uh, and I think that's, you know, I, I realized, you know, a year or two ago, I'm, I'm playing the back nine now, you know, that that's where we are. And your focus starts to shift and your perspective starts to shift and you start to have different conversations that are really meaningful. And, um, and, you know, the last few years with the pandemic has been tough on everybody and it's really brought this to the forefront. So I, I think it's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that you have four children. You have sons, correct? I have two sons and two daughters. Now, has your mindset in terms of how you speak with your sons shifted now that you're sort of, as you said, sort of evolved into this new space of talking openly about mental health? Because I know that sometimes we parent uh, genders a little bit differently when it comes to these things. What, has, has that changed for you at all? I think with, I mean, with all of our children, you know, we've always had very open and honest conversations with them. Uh, you know, they, we, we have a unique situation where they've been surrounded by a film crew their entire lives. So they're, you know, they're, they're surrounded by adults. They're involved in adult conversations. Um, you know, one of, one of my sons was experiencing uh, anxiety issues of his own. And I thought back to, you know, I think I was 22 or 23 uh, the first time, you know, I realized something was strange. Um, and the response that I got was, oh, that, that's weird. You know, go home, sleep it off and, uh, and you'll be fine. Pat on the back kind of thing. And had somebody said to me at that moment, listen, here's what it is. You know, here's the science behind it. Here are the physiological reasons. Here are the, uh, you know, the ways to, to talk yourself out of this cycle of depression or, or anxiety. I think that probably would have cut about 15 years of my, my anxiety, uh, ride, you know, off, but, but that didn't happen. So I definitely had those conversations with my son and said, look, you know, I would, I went through the same thing and here it is. And interestingly enough, you know, it, not that that, that shut it off and, and cured it. Um, but I think he only dealt with it for maybe, you know, six months to a year. So maybe it's, it's early intervention and talking about it and, and understanding it. Uh, that's important. So we definitely have those conversations with the kids. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Brian Baumler to discuss more about Father's Day on the Hill that happened in Parla at Parliament Hill this week in Ottawa. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Okay, we're back with Brian Baumler. And uh, Brian, I'd like to know, tell me about the experience of Father's Day on the Hill. I know you were a guest speaker, but there were others there, obviously. Was there anything that sort of surprised you about this event? No, I mean, I, I think I think I went into it, you know, just uh, just realizing what it would be, uh, you know, great conversation. Um, and and I think a lot of people realizing that, you know, we need to talk more about these things and, and open it up. We're so busy today on the Internet, on social media, pretending everything is OK. Um, and men, especially, you know, you, you get that phone call, the text or the slap on the back from a, from a friend or a colleague. And they say, how are you doing? And the, the programmed response is, oh, good, man. How are you? Um, you know, we have to we have to pause that programmed response. And, you know, there, there's a, a time and a place to say, I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? And there's a time and a place to say, you know what, man, I've had a really rough couple of weeks. 
uh, we'd love to, you know, grab a coffee and, and, and talk about it. Um, so I, I think it was a great conversation starter and, and it, it's great to see so many people that, that are behind the initiative. You mentioned social media. We'd often share our highlight reel there, what we want people to see. Um, do you feel that the social media has an impact on men's mental health specifically? 100%. Um, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, and, and I've realized this over the past few years, you know, be, being on television again, it's a unique experience. You know, I think, I think it's probably in line with being a politician. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody thinks you work for them. Everyone has expectations. And, um, you know, a lot of people will make comments uh, and, and, you know, the majority positive, which is great. But there are those ones that come across that are very negative and, um, you know, abusive and, and, and rude and all kinds of things. And my shift over the past few years, and again, I think this is getting older and looking at the kids and trying to teach them how to navigate, you know, this, this new form of media going forward, is that those are the people that, you know, instead of responding and saying, you know, screw you, the response is, are you okay, man? Like, what's up? Um, because uh, there's a saying interesting, you know, what? Susie says about Sally says more about Susie than it does about Sally. Um, well, it applies to, you know, Bill and Tom as well. Um, you know, it, it typically that's coming from a place where those people are unhappy with themselves and they're projecting that, and, you know, hope in hopes that it makes them feel better, but ultimately it doesn't. So yeah, it's an, it's an interesting media. And I think it's really uh, it's been detrimental for a lot of people. Do you think that somebody like yourself, who's in the very much in the public eye, do you think you have a responsibility to share not just the highlight reel through your social media to show people that there is, you know, it's not always perfect? I don't know if it's, a, again, a responsibility. Um, I feel a responsibility. Um, I don't I don't know that there is a, uh, you know, some type of, uh, of of real responsibility there. But I but I think anyone that has a um, that is in the public eye and, and has a, a following or a reach is, uh, you know, should from their own moral compass, you know, look at, look at getting involved in, in things that, that, uh, that help other people. You know, I, I, I was lucky. I was raised by, you know, two loving parents and a very supportive father who, you know, he dropped everything and, and came and stayed with me for six weeks during, you know, kind of my, my high anxiety time and got me through that. And I think it's really important that the message they kind of taught us was, you know, if you if you have an extra sandwich and your neighbor is hungry, you should give them a sandwich. Um, you know, that's just that's just basic human decency. So, yeah, I, I think I think there is or I think people should feel their own responsibility, uh, you know, to share these things and, and help other people out. All right. Incredible. So uh, I want people to be able to find out more about Father's Day on the Hill, obviously, but also to keep up with you. You're very busy. Uh, so maybe you could just share where people can learn a little bit more about Father's Day on the Hill. And then, of course, keep up with all of your adventures. I can't even keep up with those adventures. <laughs> uh, so Father's Day on the Hill, you can find information at fathersdayonthehill.ca. Uh, the website's got all kinds of information there. Um, myself, I mean, we're on, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and, and Twitter, uh, at Brian Baumler, uh, with a Y and, uh, you know, brianbaumler.com and we have baumlerconstruction.com and, uh, a quick, a quick search will, uh, will track us down, but yeah, we have, we have a lot going on between Bahamas and Florida, and Canada and the West coast and more projects in the future. Incredible. Brian, thank you so much for joining me and for being the first man on the show this year. That was great. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Brian.
Joining me now for what's new in entertainment is Ann Brody. We have a lot to get to this weekend, so let's jump right in. Tell me about Lightspeed. Lightyear, yes, it's the new um, Buzz Lightyear film, and I got to tell you, people are dying to see it. They put out a tweet with new information about it a couple of days ago, and it got 83 million likes in that amount of time. Nothing. <laughs> So people are extremely excited, but I want to talk about something that won't get a lot of coverage, but should, and that is the Phantom of the Open. It's a true story of a British golfer in the 70s who um, sort of cheated his way into the British Open. He said he was a professional. His score was 121, which is terrible. And he just, he was, he was named Britain's worst golfer. So the golf elites looked down on him, despised him, tried to get him out of their club, their precious club. But he became a folk hero and his fame shot around the world for for playing golf badly. He would do on a par four and he not on purpose, just because of his lack of ability. He'd shoot like a, a 63 on a par four. Very funny. So that's a great one. And Mark Rylance, who can do no wrong stars. Um, so that's one to look out for. Another one that I adored was called White Men, Wild Men. It's listed as a high concept comedy. And it is to begin with, but then it sort of devolves into um, sort of a chase. It's out in the mountains in uh, Sweden. And this man is dressed like a Viking. He wears furs. He carries axes because He's tired of the nice life he had with his wife and children in the city. So he now lives in the woods. Anyway, he comes across a car wreck. He saves the one person who's still alive uh, and takes him to his encampment. And this guy's escaping the police. Turns out he's a drug dealer. Uh, and the two of them have these adventures over the next hour and a half that are just so endearing and funny and wild and crazy. I love it. It's in select theaters and on TVOD later in the summer. Okay. Well, the big one on your list this week that got me was the Umbrella Academy because I devoured the first couple of seasons of the Umbrella Academy. It looks great. I love it. It's back. It's back for a third season. And this is great news because I was hearing that it wouldn't be coming back because it's so expensive. But yes, it did. And okay, they saved the world at the end of last but now they have to do it again because something went wrong. And they're trying to prove just what dad, Colm Fior, had to do with the assassination of JFK. And somebody has found footage of him on the grassy knoll that day in 1962. So, oh, it's just, and that exuberance that comes with it, the song and dance numbers that, that go on for several minutes, which I adore. They're back. And uh, Robert Sheehan, he's just so charismatic. He's one of the most charismatic people, really, working today. It's a really excellent cast. And I just, uh, I, I don't want to dwell on it too long because we, there's others to get to, but that's on Netflix. Let's talk about The Old Man because I, I, I love Jeff Bridges and I thought this looked really good. Is it? Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. He was, uh, he was a spy. He, was, he knows his way around personal security and weaponry. Um, he has nightmares about his wife, who's dead. And uh, the only person who knows his identity now, aside from his old boss, is his daughter. He phones her up one day, tells her never to call him again, to forget he exists, because 
someone is after him. And it's, it's just so engrossing. Um, he finds a place to live with Amy Brenneman. And before she can turn around, he has her in the trunk and they're driving away because he has to escape once again. And she knows a little bit about him. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. And there's a, a warlord from the Middle East who's after him, a, a terrifying character. Um, and it's based on the best-selling novels. So The Old Man is definitely something to watch on FX. All right. And there's a, finally, I don't want to miss this one because I think this one looks really good as well. And it's got a slice of Canadiana in it, The Lake. The Lake. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Anyone who's been to Lake Country in Canada knows that there are always problems with real estate and greed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Julia Stiles leads the cast in this hilarious um, sort of satire on, on say, Muskoka living. Uh, she, she comes along, she's the stepdaughter in the family, but she inherits the place. So this creates a whole ball of wax. And her gay stepbrother, the actual biological uh, man's son, is reuniting with the girl that he, he fathered back in high school and hasn't seen since. All these people are coming to the cottage for a reunion and they all have access to grind or things to accomplish that are pretty outstanding. It's so good. You'll just love it. All right. And that's, where is that again? Is that Amazon? That's Amazon, uh, Prime Video Amazon Productions. And it's the first scripted comedy of their uh, Amazon Canada Studios production house. Oh, excellent. That's good to know. Okay. And thank you so much. Of course, you have lots more. Uh, there's always stuff that comes up uh, after we've talked that you you include. So that's on what she said talk.com. And uh, we'll see you again next week. See you next week, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. I think about the environment a lot, multiple times a day actually, and the eco guilt is real, especially when I know something I've used will not be recycled, upcycled, or reused. Catherine Merritt is the founder and CEO of Case, a company that provides a recycling channel for plastics that are typically not recycled by municipalities. In her case, it all started with collecting those black plastic takeout containers and has since diverted over 200,000 of them from landfill, which is absolutely incredible. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Hi, Candace. Thank you so much for having me. I am on a mission to highlight as many uh, companies that are in the green economy as possible uh, because this is urgent. Uh, we need to do this. And so Let's just hone in on plastic. How much of the plastic in Canada is actually recycled? So of all the plastic, and this is including plastic that's put into our municipal blue bins, only 9% is actually reaching the recycling centers in terms of broken down and resold back into the market. Only 9%. Do you know why it's so low? Is it because we're not 
disposing of it correctly to the municipalities or that there is a lack of care on the municipality end? What's the reason for such a low number? It's a, it's really, there's lots of reasons, but the reason I can give as to what's decreased it over the years is this idea that uh, single stream recycling is better. And so single stream recycling is you put all types of, you know, quote unquote, recyclable material into one bin, and then it's taken away and magically recycled. In order for recycling to happen, it needs to be a one-to-one system. So one plastic bottle, you need thousands of those. So it's all one type of plastic, and then that is broken down and sold. So you have to look at the back end, like who's separating it? Is it, co- is it worth the cost to separate it? And right now with single stream recycling, no, it's not worth the cost. So a lot is not getting recycled. And all plastics are not created equal. Not all of them are easily re- as recycled, correct? That is correct. And they have different compounds and different structures and behave in different ways when they are recycled. And that's why it's so so important that one type needs to be all categorized together. And as well, they're not all valued equally in the end market. So let's talk about the black plastic containers that you focus on specifically. Why did you hone in on those? So for me, it was always about the takeout problem. That was initially how I came up with the idea of case. And then honing in on them was the municipalities weren't recycling them. Their optical sorters were not detecting the black plastic. It was a common pain for people in Toronto, um, and enough people in Toronto. And so I thought if I just set these up and collect them, I know there is an end market for them. I know there are buyers, but they're not being recycled because they're so small in the grand scheme of how many things are going into our municipal blue bins. But if I silo this out and build a company around it, it will successfully recycle them. So how does your company work then? Explain to me from start to finish what happens. So we set up collection bins with uh, businesses such as offices, condos, apartments, retail stores, whoever. And there's two streams. There's private and public collection. Public just means anybody anywhere can find out where a bin is and drop it off. Private is it specifically catered to whoever's paying for it. Um, Then we collect them. We bring them back to our warehouse. We sort them into two streams. One is reuse, which are the high quality ones, still durable, still good. The other is recycling, and then they're sent their ways. So you are able to recycle some of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who do you send those to? The municipality? No. So that for that, we've partnered with the largest black plastic recycler in Canada. We've vetted where they're taking these materials and who they're selling them to after they've been recycled. And we've ensured they have a complete circular supply chain for them. This is really, really good news. I mean, I just, I carry so much guilt when I get takeout with those containers because I don't know what to do with them. I can only have so many in my house. I know they don't get recycled. So how can we get you in our neighborhood? How do you, how are you, what are your plans for growth? I know you're in Toronto right now, but did you have plans to, to grow? Yeah. So we are a, what the industry calls a B2B business, business to business. So anyone who is listening and is sitting in a position where they can choose to pay for these services through their company and provide them to their colleagues or provide it to the residents, like let's say they work in like the property management field, um, please reach out and contact us. You can contact me directly at Catherine at casereuse.ca and I will happily send you some materials in order for you to make that decision and understand our pricing more. Okay. But for now then, uh, you are strictly in Toronto, is that correct? We are strictly in Toronto and we are in plans to expand across the province um, this fall. So lots in the pipeline. It's a very exciting time. All right. Uh, it, it's amazing. I, I Again, I just, um, 
I think we can all agree it's a problem. And so it's so great to see that you're addressing this. Uh, I want people to be able to connect with you, find out more about your story, keep up with where you are growing to. So where can they do that? To keep up with the story, I'm very transparent about behind the scenes, the struggles, everything like that, um, at Case Reuse on Instagram. And then uh, if you want to check our website out, you can go to www.getcase.com. All right. Incredible. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. I love everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Candice. Have a wonderful day. Look what you just made me do. Often, it takes one woman to step forward and share their story to give other women the courage or the space to do the same. Such was the case when Jennifer Valentine recently went public with her story about her time in radio. My next guest applauded Jennifer's bravery and stepped forward with her own harrowing tale. For over 30 years, Laura Mainella has been a dynamic, controversial, and opinionated voice of daytime radio. The Toronto-born radio host, whose career has spanned over several cities, now resides in Niagara and freelances shows throughout the country. She joins me today to discuss why now is the time for a radio reboot. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Valentine coming forward and sharing her story was kind of a catalyst for me. It opened the door because I feel like it's time for change. My story is very significant and everybody's story is significant. And since sharing my story, I've received hundreds of emails and messages from people who have either gone through the same issues at their workplace or just messaged me to support me. I mean, the floodgates have just opened. I'm glad people are paying attention, but the reality is we're all complicit in this. It's a systemic issue. So I wanted to share my story because I wanted us to open this dialogue uh, and make sure that when our daughters go into the workplace, they don't have to experience this bullying and harassment. Uh, there's got to be consequences for behavior, you know, and uh, that's, this is it. This is the dialogue that we need to have. Yeah. And for those who, you know, maybe don't know your story, maybe you could just give like sort of the Cole's notes for people of, of what your story is and why you needed to share that. I explained in detail on my Facebook page and on Twitter, and I'll explain how people can, can get to that to, to understand my full story. But I worked in a, in a workplace in Ottawa at a radio station, the number one radio station. And, uh, on the outside, it looked like we were all best friends and everybody was getting along and, you know, rainbows and butterflies. But behind the scenes in the studio, it was a very um, horrific experience for almost five years. I was abused. I was bullied. I was harassed and I was physically assaulted. And, um, you know, my story just came out now. I've been holding on to this for, you know, 17 years. And uh, like I said, I felt like I needed to share the details of the story. Uh, to get people angry. I wanted people to sit in the uncomfortableness of hearing my story uh, because it did trigger many people. It upset people. And I think that's the way that we can create a dialogue where we can support others that are grieving, you know, some of the dark times in their careers. So we're talking about a lot of stuff that's happened in the past with Jennifer Valentine, with your story. Erin Davis shared her stories. Uh, do you think that radio 
now is a better place for women to be in? I mean, I can per- only speak to my experience, which has been nothing but positive. But do you, so do you think the space has evolved or is this the time for this? Is, is this radio's Me Too moment? Yeah, it's a great question because I thought radio was progressing, but it sounds like after hearing all these stories and not just men bullying women in the workplace, women are bullying women in radio. And uh, after hearing these stories, it tells me that things really haven't changed. We just have to navigate through the system so everybody feels comfortable. Management also and HR, they've got to change their ways. They need stricter punishment for people who are abusive in the workplace. We could build a better industry by by talking about it and acknowledging that this stuff goes on instead of ignoring it and sweeping it under the rug, which, you know, management does. So it is still out there, but people are so afraid to talk about it because they're afraid of losing their jobs, which is what I happened to me. And that, that fear is real, right? You know, that's a, that's a security that you have in your life and you don't want to put that at risk. I understand that. So now, I mean, sitting here in 2022, you've got 30 years of experience in radio. Would you encourage women to get into radio at this point? I think what you had mentioned before, it is a radio Me Too movement. So I think the red flags are up everywhere. So I think that the industry is going to change now because people are seeing what's going on. Management and HR have to be held accountable. Um, I am a little leery. A friend of mine, her daughter just graduated from broad, from journalism, and she wants to work in a morning radio show, right? With, you know, potentially three other men waking up early, being in a room with three guys. Uh, am I comfortable with that? Not yet. But I think we can create a space for people um, women especially, that can feel comfortable because there will be those resources out there. We just kind of have to tap into what it is that we can do to, to, to build and create a safe space for women. And since you've gone public with your story, uh, you know, you mentioned that you've had a lot of support, uh, but what's it been like for you? Did you get some backlash on that at all? Not at all. They, they have been radio silent. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't, expe- yeah, I, I, I didn't expect for them to come out and say, oh, we're really sorry we treated you that way. But the silence alone is pretty telling. Um, although it really would be nice, you know, just for the, the whole planet, you know, as a whole, you know, a whole universal thing for, you know, management to acknowledge, uh, you know, that you know, it really wasn't about the guy who, who was running unchecked. It was, the manager should have protected me and the lack of consequences for this guy. And that's where somebody in management should come out and say, we could have done better. Wow, that would just create so much more talk, healthy conversations. So yeah, nothing's come from their side, which is fine, because it was never about you know punishing them or giving them attention. It was about telling my story, healing my own stuff, and opening the door for other women to come forward and sharing their stories. And it's working, so that's beautiful. It, it really is. And I'm, I'm so pleased that you agreed to join me on today's show and discuss a little bit about your story. I do want people to go over and read the full story. Uh, so where can people connect with you? First off, hear you. Where can they catch your show and where you're, you, you are right now? And then where can they find you on social media? Well, thank you so much. I'm pretty fortunate. I freelance to three stations. So I'm at 101.1 More FM in Niagara. I host the morning show live. Um, I also host a morning show in Sylvan Lake, Alberta called The Wave in Sylvan. That's uh, a taped show. And then also in Woodstock, Ontario, I do a midday show between 10 and 2. Um, And you can hear my story and reach out to me on my Facebook page, Laura Maynella, and on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, Yeah, 
And uh, I'd love to hear from people uh, who have some suggestions, ideas, how we can create a safe workspace, and people who have experienced maybe the same thing that want to share their story, because I'm here to support anybody and everybody. All right. Incredible. Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. With recent changes to restrictions for airlines, travel is about to explode, and it's important to remember that while family travel can be messy and stressful at times, it's still worth the effort. The memories and bonds that occur when we take time to be together in meaningful ways inside and outside of our comfort zones will last a lifetime, long after the bags are unpacked and laundry is folded away. Claudia Leroy is a freelance writer, editor, and content creator living in Vancouver, British Columbia. She writes about adventure, family, wellness, and sustainable travel for a variety of online and print outlets around the world, and her travel anthology, A Gelato a Day, will be published in fall 2022. She joins me today to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Claudia. Oh, thank you so much, Candice. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm so in love with the cover of this book. It's bright. It's beautiful. I, I want to frame it. But the title is really fantastic, too. Why did you call it a gelato a day? Um, well, thank you. Thank you for that, Candice. I'm so glad that you uh, like the cover and the the title. And there is a story that goes with uh, the title of a gelato a day. And it stems from um, early uh, family travel trips that we had when my kids were really young. Um, around five and seven years old. And we did some extended uh, trips to visit family and destinations in Europe uh, at that time. And one of the strategies that we came up with um, to help manage, uh, you know, tired afternoons when the hangries start coming out and people are exhausted and hot about visiting people or places and whatnot was to come up with a strategy of a treat something that would be something to look forward to and entice good behavior when necessary in both children and adults, of course. Uh, and that was a gelato a day. And it was so successful that uh, towards the end of our holiday, our youngest child was kind of sick of gelato, can you believe it, and started begging for like a cake substitute, which of course he was granted. Um, and it was just a really great way of having fun while we were on holiday recognizing that sometimes we all need to take a break, a little bit of gelato, something sweet and tasty and cold in a hot summer environment was the ideal thing to help us get over that uh, difficulty that that might have occurred on travel days uh, or just to enjoy some ice cream together. I love it. It's it's brilliant. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about travel right now is, is, is funny because it's 
there's so much pent up demand. People want to travel, but we're dealing with all of these economic realities as well. And so I think it's important to sort of just pause here and note that travel doesn't need to be to Paris or to Bora Bora. Uh, travel can be to, you know, a local park uh, you, to still get the benefits from it, right? Absolutely. And I really appreciate you pointing that out, Candice. Family travel and enjoying time together is not tied to a location. You don't have to go far away to bond about being together as a family. You can go camping. Um, uh, in I think you're located in Ontario, right? I'm in British Columbia. We have wonderful natural campgrounds to go and experience as a family. Camping is a really f- affordable thing to do. And that was one of the first family trips, actually, that we took. Uh, we took our baby camping. <laughs> And we still camp, even though our kids are young adults. Um, And we actually have a camping trip booked in August that they are looking forward to as much as we are, because it's about being out in nature, being together, enjoying time together uh, and having fun while doing so. And it doesn't have to be expensive. The key is to be together and have those enjoyable experiences. Now, when circumstances allow for travel to go to more expensive destinations or do trips to a theme park like Disneyland or Disney World, uh, if if that's something that is attractive to families, or to go further afield and visit Australia or Rome or Paris and go up the Eiffel Tower together, then those opportunities um, will exist when people have the chance to be able to do that. But it shouldn't stand in the way of people going out and spending time together, even a long weekend as a family is a wonderful thing and a wonderful trip to do. Yeah, I talk a lot about like the halo effect of travel, you know, because it's not just the the trip itself. It's the whole experience. It's the planning, the leading up to it. It's the trip itself. And then it's the stories and the memories that come afterwards. Um, There's so much there. So do you talk about that? Does that come out in your book about the benefits, primarily the mental health benefits that come out of travel? Um, Yeah, absolutely. This... This anthology, and it is a collection of stories in and a gelato a day, um, really touches upon the whole kind of gamut of family travel experiences. It's basically a roadmap to the types of experiences and wonderful times that we can enjoy together as a family when we give ourselves over to the magic of travel and spending time with the people we love, away with the confines and the stresses of daily life, away from the routines of school and work and soccer practice and theater practice and all those things. Through the travel experience, we can discover new things about ourselves, the places we're visiting, and each other, and create those precious memories that are going to live on, like, like you said in the introduction, long after the laundry's been folded away. Um, and there's huge value in, in doing those types of things and taking a break, especially over the past you know, few years of really challenging times. It's really traveling right now. It's, it's a challenge. Um, it, it's, it's, it's more paperwork than ever before, perhaps. But it's also the, the break that we need to get out of the spaces that we've been inhabiting for the past two and a half years and visit places and see people we haven't seen for so long. And that's just so hugely beneficial to our mental health. Yeah. And I, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, do you have a favorite story that you collected in a gelato a day? <laughs> oh, Candace, you're asking as if I like have a favorite child and I cannot possibly. <laughs> what I will say is that this collection is by 20 wonderful 
travel writers, um, uh, the majority of whom are Canadian. And there's a few international writers sprinkled in there as well, who tell stories that range from traveling with uh, Toddlers Gone Wild in the Hawaiian Islands to doing the Civil Rights Trail in the southern United States with their teenager and all the, the doors that, that, that become open and the history that's unlocked through that experience. And then through stories uh, like my own, which involves taking a father-daughter trip as I was about to go to university and learning things about my dad and how he grew up in wartime Italy during World War II and all the stories I had never heard him talk about before. And the travel experience opened up those doors. There's also wonderful stories about traveling with, uh, with you know, adult kids, taking them to Africa and doing um, volunteer work while they're there, traveling with siblings on road trips to Nantucket, um, and all of the different foibles and things they learn about uh, themselves and each other and also their parents when they see them out of the context of, well, they're my parent, but they're also a human being. And and what does that involve? So, um, yeah, you'll have to read the book to find out what all the stories are about. Well, you you know I'm going to. And I think you've got a great future as a politician because you successfully <laughs> evaded that question. Uh, good job. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Where are you going to next, Claudia? Um, I'm actually headed to Nova Scotia. I have never been to the Atlantic provinces and I am so excited. Oh, wow. You know, Cape Breton's where my family's from. So I have to tell you, you are going to lose your mind at the beauty of Cape Breton. It is, it is stunning. I can't wait to hear all about it, actually. Uh, it'll be great. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm so excited. I, you know, I love the West Coast, but I know our, our Canadian East Coast is just as gorgeous. So. Absolutely. All right. So I want people to be able to connect with you, find your book, uh, you know, keep keep uh, track of you because <laughs> you're always on the move. So let's tell people where they can do that. You bet. Well, A Gelato A Day is going to be released on September 1st, 2022, but people can pre-order the book today. Um, they just need to call or visit their favorite independent bookstore. Um or you can also find it on Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. Uh, and then, of course, once it's available in stores, they will be able to see it on the shelves as of September 1st. And they can find all the latest and greatest information, including details about um, how the book came to be and background information at ClaudiaTravels.com. And a shout out to my Instagram. My handle is It's Claudia Travels. If you're on Instagram, please do come find me. Okay, and we just have to do a little bit of fangirling here because you have a little bit of a uh, quote in your book, uh, endorsement for us. So all the Gen X babies out there are going to love this. Tell us who. Well, I am, can I say the word stoked? <laughs> that I was successful in, in, um, in being able to very graciously uh, get a book blurb uh, and, and a pre-read by Andrew McCarthy. Uh, who as uh, an actor from our Gen X days is in Pretty in Pinks and Almost Fire and is also a noted author who has actually written an autobiography about his time uh, in the 80s called Brat and also several books about family travel because he's a family travel fan too. Uh, so I'm really delighted uh, that he was able to graciously give time and, uh, and give a bit of information and blurb and support for the book, which is a wonderful thing. And I also have some also some some other folk who were very gracious and did the same. So yeah, incredible. You. All right. Thank you so much, Claudia. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Candace. Have a great day and have a gelato.
That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.